0: For those of you in Lower Manhattan or for those of you who are coming through Lower Manhattan this morning, the Bialystoker Synagogue right here on the Lower East Side has a special legal holiday shiur. Uh, today, 9.30 a.m., being delivered by Rabbi Gil Student, book publisher and pioneer Torah blogger. He runs the Torah Musings website, writes frequently in Jewish newspapers and magazines on issues of halakha and hashkafah. And today, men and women are invited to a, a speech that will include a light breakfast. Uh, the speech is entitled "Plagiarism: Why the Rishonim Could Do It, But We Can't." Rabbi Gill's student will be will be at the Bialstucker Synagogue at nine thirty this morning. He is in our studio right now on a JM in the AM Monday. Rabbi Gill's student, welcome to JM in the AM. Good
1: morning, Nachum. Good morning, all the listeners. I just want to clarify one thing about yeah. that that cheer <laughs> that we're going to have. It should be I try. I, Chose the, the title very carefully. I'm sure, and that the rishonim, the assumption is that the rishonim were not doing anything wrong chas right? And we want to understand why we see what we call today plagiarism very common in their writing. Why we see them copying from each other? And that's what I want to think about uh, with the assumption that they didn't do anything wrong. It doesn't mean we could do it. Doesn't right. mean if you go to college and you hand in a uh, let's say so right? So he very often quotes directly from the Rambam word for word. But well, there are no sources in the Shulchan Aruch. i you wrote another Safer with the sources of Beis Yosef, but in the Shulchan Aruch, if you just read it, he's quoting other people without giving attribution. If you do that in college, you'll be expelled. I don't recommend it. But the Shulchan Aruch, who could say that he did Chas V'Shalom, he did anything wrong? But I want to try to understand and uh, why what he did, uh, we can't do today. And I think I think we have there there there's changes in technology, that have caused that. And by technology, I don't mean the beloved N S N app. <laughs> The print nice reference yeah. <laughs> the, the, and i'm a long i'm a i am listen every day love <laughs> the app thank you the printing press started in the 1400s 1500s and that changed society just right. like the internet is starting to change society now and i think that had a huge impact on how we understand um Ownership of original material.
0: But, but not to take away from your sheer, and we are encouraging people to go across the street to the Bialysteker Synagogue at 9.30 this morning, uh, because you've said this, it prompts me to ask, uh, isn't it a much older tradition in our tradition than the printing press to give attribution and to make sure to quote somebody if in fact you are, to quote who you are quoting if in fact you're quoting them?
1: Well, ab- Absolutely. But interestingly enough, if you look in history, uh, the way they did is if you said a Kiddush, if you had a new and interesting idea, they were very careful to attribute that to you. But if you just wrote down an explanation, you didn't actually say anything interesting. You were just restating the Gemara in your own words, Mm. and they didn't consider that interesting at all. That wasn't anything new.
0: Could be they had the assumption that everybody reading it knew who originally said it. That could be also right.
1: It wasn't until writing became a profession Right. where the words that you write puts food on your table, that the eloquence of your words actually became your own property. Nobody right. considered it that before then. But I don't want to give away everything. Right, Come to the share.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should be there this morning at 9.30 at the Bialystoker Synagogue. I should also mention that uh, there is a brand new book that Rabbi Gill's student is responsible for. We will talk about the book uh, in a moment. It's called Search Engine, Finding Meaning in Jewish Texts. Uh, volume one is going to be released next week, please God. Yes. On Jewish life, and we'll explain what that means and the topics that you uh, that you um, uh, bring to life, etc. in a moment. Uh, it's a Kodesh Press release, which means you can go to Kodeshpress.com K-O-D-E-S-H, Kodesh Press and you could use the following promo code. If you're a JMAM listener this morning, and I would hope that the publisher would honor it later in the week as well if you're listening to an archive, uh, if you're listening to us through archive, the promo code is SEARCH30. That's search, the word search, and then three zero SEARCH30, that's the promo code for my Gil student's brand new book, Search Engine, Finding Meaning in Jewish Text. So you, years ago, started uh, writing on the internet about what I guess we would now call Torah musings, right? Different right. things having to do with Torah. What, what you've done, by the way, in many ways has reminded me, and this is not in, at all a, um, um, I, I, I'm only saying this to praise you, let's put it that way, because I was a major fan. It reminds me of the RJJ Journal. Do you remember the RJJ Journal? Of
1: course, it's still around.
0: Right, it's still around, which, which would take you know different topics, especially a lot of topics that were never addressed before or had not been addressed in the context of modern day thinking, and uh, and bring different opinions and a whole discussion to light, um uh you know for the reader and in many ways what you've done in terms of taking topics and you know analyzing them and bringing them to the public is is in many ways reminds me of that which again is a compliment, not nothing else.
1: I appreciate that I aspire to the quality of the RJJ journal interestingly enough. I once um in, in a communication with the former editor rabbi Al Cohen sure so he he told me that the authors in the RJJ journal are not allowed to offer their own opinions unless they're a respected postdoc. They can quote opinions, but unless you are someone who deserves, who is worthy of having an opinion, they don't want to hear it.
0: Only analysis.
1: Then that's that's kind of what I try to do on the web also. I'm not someone who should be giving my own opinion on halachic matters. I just try to explain what other people greater than I have said. I, I consider myself more of a popularizer, simplifying things and putting them in my own format.
0: Interesting. Uh, your book is called Search Engine, and you noted to me um, when you sent me the first few pages of the uh of the manuscript that I would find the introduction interesting yeah. and the and to me one of the main topics and we see this with even with very very current events in the Jewish world we see this in my opinion one of the main topics and one of the main themes of 2017 Judaism is balance is trying to remain on the even keel I'm trying to be, uh, uh, to be, um, you know, in moderation and not necessarily to the extreme. Would you say that 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 in, that in your introduction to this book you touch on that?
1: I, I think so. I think it's it's necessary. Otherwise, we would drown in the, the the notifications on our phones, with the tweets and the Facebooks and the emails and the text messages and the WhatsApp. The WhatsApp just drowns us. <laughs> you know, you have to. You have to turn off some of those notifications, otherwise you can't function. And it it, it affects you on Shabbos also. We think, oh, we turn off our technology right. on Shabbos. But if you, ne- if you never read to the end of an email because you're just too distracted, on Shabbos, how are you going to read to the end of a Dvar Torah? Right. It's, it's, you don't have the patience.
0: Yeah, you make the point that there's a uh, a technological boom or an era that we're going through now that is a revolutionary one and in many ways a positive one. But for the reasons you just mentioned, in some ways, it's a negative.
1: Well, it depends. Uh, it's hard to say positive or negative. It's a change. Okay. And um, personally, I, I'm a believer, and I try to do this myself, uh, to try to train myself to read long things just every once in a while cause, so you don't lose that muscle ability. Right. Uh, but realistically, I don't do that too often, and I don't think most people do that too often. And what I try to do is to write for people with a shorter attention span. And sometimes I'm better at that than others. So right. for So... And you know know who I learned this from? Mm -hmm. He figured this out 30 years ago. Reversal Schechter. If you look at his Hebrew articles, everything is divided into small sections, so it's easy to read. He's still very out there, very technical and and very, very uh, complex, but he has small sections, and I try to do that also, so that you could feel some accomplishment. And instead of saying, oh, I have another 20 pages to the chapter, I have one more page, and then I finish it. And then you can maybe close it and come back some, later.
0: And, and many people in the world of publishing, including the editors of the New York Times Sunday magazine, they've all learned this lesson, and their articles are much shorter than they used to be for the very reason you're pointing out. I mean, you, know, you got to meet people where they are, so to speak, and this is where people are at this point.
1: It, it is. It, and, and, you know, I'm sure at some point people were complaining, uh, or they actually were. When the Shulchan Aruch was published, right. they were complaining, well, this is ridiculous. You have to learn the Gemara. Why would you just give feed someone the halacha in a short, condensed form? But now we accept it as a given, and that's normal. Right. And uh, as things change, we have to adjust to the new normal. And I'm not saying we should change the content at mm-hmm. all. It's just a matter of format.
0: Well, Rabbi Gil's student is here, and it's interesting. I mentioned balance, and you go straight to the uh, 2017 attitude toward technology, which, as you just pointed out, does require some balance, some moderation, and some awareness by the user of you know just how much they're being inundated with. But when I meant balance in your introduction, I was speaking more about halacha and hashkafa. I was speaking more about how it seems to me, uh, and to others, I think there are others who are of the same opinion, that we are paying so much attention to halacha, again, to an extent, rightfully so, obviously, it's what guides us 100% of our lives. We pay so much attention to halacha, and the minutia of halacha, and the detailed explanation of what we are doing and why, and uh, attention to the smallest of detail, that very often, in my opinion, and others, we will lose track of the overall hashkaffa, of the big picture, so to speak. And that, to me, which I thought you uh, you were uh, addressing in your introduction to this book, uh, that, to me, is disturbing and really uh, stifles the p- collective growth of the Jewish world in our generation.
1: It's it's interesting. I, I did not expect you to go in that direction, but sometimes you'll hear a shir and never hear the word God or Hashem. Correct. And it just... It it boggles the mind because that's what it's all about, and what I try to do uh, is to always enter, you know, bring Hashem into the picture, and 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 why are we doing this? I I wrote an I wrote an article for the web a few years ago, just why we do mitzvos, going through the different opinions in the Rishonim. This is what the Rambam, the Ramban, this is what it's all about. Right. And and, and I have those
0: two, the Rambam and the Ramban, like that's primary what they were discussing all the time.
1: And the feedback was overwhelming. People saying, why didn't I learn this in yeshiva? Right. And I said. I don't know. When Rav when they started the Kola in YU, right. he wanted it to be mandatory. It never actually became this So He wanted it to be mandatory that in the Kola, you have to review all the Rambans on the Parsha because this is what the Ramban on the Parsha is all about. And I encourage everybody, learn the Ramban. There's so much there. You have to skip some of the Kabbalah stuff. We all right. skip it. That's fine. But there's so much there just asking basic questions. Why does Hashem test us?
0: Right. And not just Hashkafa, but if you go through Ramban, you'll also have a much greater appreciation for Eretz Israel. And mitzvot that are, you know, that are, I think, according to Ramban, essentially it's to be done in Eretz Yisrael, right? The Absolutely. reason we do them in Chutz Laaretz is, is, you know, is another discussion. But primarily, they're supposed to be done in Israel. And um, and on top of that, as you just mentioned, you get a much greater appreciation for how halacha and hashgacha, you know, work together. I mean, I'll give you an example, and you'll tell me, you know, if I'm if I'm on the same track as you are or not. When when I go to a rabbi and I say to them, what was your um HaGadol Drusha this week, you know, the week uh, in, in April, right, <laughs> or in March, what was your Shabbos HaGadul Drusha? And they'll say to me, well, we discussed the, you know, the implications of, uh, you know, should you be using haroses, uh on the Maror, not on the Maror, you should be eating, you know, that, that, yeah. and, and by the way, th- these are real topics that people do discuss in the Shabbos HaGadul Drusha, and they you know, measurements, measurements a very big one, wine and Maror, etc., cetera, et cetera. And I bemoan, and I say to the—and I will then answer the rabbis or when they see that I, you know, <laughs> that I let out a sigh. They'll say, what's wrong? And I said, I, I wish your Shabbos drusha is, after all, Erev Pesach, the Chag HaGaula— I wish it dealt a little bit more with Jewish nationalism. I wish it dealt a little bit more with the primary objective of the Jewish people. Not to in any way—and I hope people understand that I really mean this— not to in any way minimize how much wine you need for Kiddush. Believe me, I— I'm also mock bid on, you know, on having a, 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 coast, a coast that's large enough. But at some point, I would love a rabbi who now has this audience of hundreds of people on a Shabbos, a guddle drusher, which, by the way, a lot of people go to, normally don't go to any drushers the whole year. I, w- I wish they would use the opportunity to speak about Jewish nationalism, about Israel, about what we, what we now have, about the Jerusalem issue, which is, you know, for those of us who care, is a primary topic. And unfortunately, you know, I think we're in the minority. So when, when you talk about balance or when you mention balance, that's what, that's what comes to me, that there are, that in, in the role of Jewish leadership, there is a, there's an objective to transmit important messages to the masses. What are those messages? Now, one rabbi once responded to me, I have to meet my congregation where they are. They're not ready for Jewish nationalism speeches. They're, they are ready for, you know, Karpaz speeches. And I'm like, no, but that's but that's your role. As a leader, that's your role to to bring them there and to introduce these topics and explain why they're so important. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from when it comes to this topic.
1: That's so interesting. For the past 20 years, I've been in many different shuls. I'm not a shul rabbi, but I've heard many different Shabbos Agudal Shabbos Shuvah drushas, and every time it's always 50-50, half halacha and then half hashkafa. Mm-hmm. But usually it's where people are, so it's about depending on my, on the age group it's about parenting it's about shalom bias, it's about you know marital uh, happiness and it's it's about um we education live. education yeah. you did, we got live, yeah. and and those are all important and that's where people sure. I, I've never heard anything about uh, esoteric ideas like nationalism but it's very important uh, all it, the time it
0: is the it's the holiday that that birthed the jewish nation
1: but i have heard drushas about belief in hashem Right, basic concepts of belief, even belief in Torah and Sinai, These are all important things for a rabbi to address. It's very difficult for a rabbi to address sometimes, but these are things that should be coming up in our religious conversation. You know, we we graduated from school, but our education never ends. Right, I'm a student for life. You know,
0: <laughs> understood. There are some people who who um, there are some people who cynically call what we have today bubblegum Judaism. Where the most important question for people is which bubblegum is kosher, and I understand where they're coming from that frustration. And there's some people who sincerely, and I know this from a from a rabbi who could you know go toe to toe with any Talmudic expert who has said this many times, and you may have heard this quote. Uh, there are rabbis who say you know I, I am also concerned about Kosheini and Kosh Lishi, right? Legitimate halachic concepts. For those not familiar, ask your local rabbi. But I am more concerned with the future of the Jewish people. And I think that topic, that second half, is always neglected, especially here. Maybe in Israel it's different, but especially here, I think that the uh, that the you know specific um, halachic rulings and uh, and guidelines are vital. I understand, believe me, I understand the, how important they are to, to our tradition. But sometimes I feel that the other side of that balance, uh, making people get the big picture, like you mentioned earlier, with with God, with Hashem being mentioned. Getting the big picture, I very often think, is neglected.
1: Well, let, let me let me push back a little. On sure, this. I give shiurim, and the biggest challenge is keeping people awake. Right, and what you quickly learn is what people respond to and what people don't. So I know many and many rabbis, who come out with all these ideals, and they get up and they realize I can't talk about this. I need to keep people awake, and they shift their topics to how people react. Right, it's like in anything, you you deal with your customers. Gotta know your audience. So, you know, if, if that's what the shiurim are about, that's probably because that's what people want to hear.
0: I don't know about probably because. I think it may be, again, a balance between <laughs> between what the rabbi thinks the community wants and what we really need. But I hear what you're saying. But part,
1: I, part of leadership is moving that dial and bringing people slowly over to and, and expanding their horizons. Right. So It's, it's a challenge. It's, it's yeah. very difficult. See, maybe this
0: forum is different. But in many ways, I feel that I've educated people over the years on certain topics. And I don't think topics have been beyond people. I don't, think it's, it, 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 I don't think it's matters that they're not concerned about or interested in. They just didn't know about it. You know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm sitting at a hotel on Pesach and a young woman who's married, um, you know, a couple of years and has just returned from Israel with her husband after a couple of years living there, and she says to me, I went through four years of whatever school she went you know, through in, in, in this area, in the New York City area, and I was never told there's a mitzvah to live in Israel. When, when 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 that is the message that she communicates to me and again it could be an extreme an exception etc but th- that that's troubling to me that our that our uh, focus is not on an issue like that is is startling to me and that someone could go through four years of high school and not have that experience. I'll give you one more example, by okay, the way. I'll give you one more. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll give you one more. Rabbi Gill's student this year. And I'm sorry, I'm dominating here, but I'm I'm using you as a soundboard. My all my frustrations. I'm I'm able. This is like Torah musings, right? All my frustrations. I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, no problem. If we're speaking about Jewish nationalism, you know, and if you're a listener of, of this show, which you've indicated you are, you know my feelings about Aliyah, and even if, if we are not moving to Israel, myself included, to at least keep it in a, in a very prominent position you know, on our list of priorities. So there was a school that I was involved with that had a program. You know, One Thursday night, they open up some type of program where they invite rabbis, etc., and the topic was, is Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, is living in Israel, a mitzvah or not? That was the topic. So I, of course, was <laughs> infuriated that this would even be proposed as a topic. And they said to me, "Why are you so Why are you so angry?" I said, "Would you go? Would you Would you open up your schools, Yeshiva High School, to a topic of is Shamir Shabbos a mitzvah or not? Would you ever do that?" I, I said, "For me, and the background I come from, it is no question that uh, Yeshiva Eretz Israel and living in Israel is a mitzvah. No question at all. Would Would you Would you ever dare?" um you know open up the possibility to your students that shabbos is not a mitzvah you know or one that you have to be concerned about or kashrut is something you shouldn't be concerned about how could we even how could we in this forum i'm not saying it's not a legitimate um you know a philosophical or halakhic discussion but in a school environment how is it that we could possibly introduce a topic like this to our students where we're throwing some doubt into their minds about whether in fact uh, if israel is so central to our existence and to our future certainly that it's even a question you wanted I, to respond
1: so first i'll reframe what you just said it, you don't have the afterward to my book but i actually discussed this a little bit and that it doesn't matter whether yishuv eretz israel is a mitzvah or not we know that's hashem's will right it's the prophecies in the bible that's what the bible is all about so who cares if it's a technical mitzvah or not we want to do what hashem wants for us in the world and that is to move to israel and to settle the land and to develop a Jewish country there. We know that. That's in the Bible. Just open it up. It's Tanakh. So if we're quibbling about whether it's a mitzvah, whether it's an obligation or it's just a qi'um mitzvah, right. you know, okay, that's interesting, but you got to somewhere stick in there that that's what Hashem wants from us. So don't get you don't always have to be so detailed. Our goal is to do what Hashem wants from us. Right. And I think that ties into the whole balance thing that we've been mm-hmm. talking about. But I just want to push back a little in that sure. I'm not a high school teacher. You're not a high school teacher. What people think they were taught in high school is very often not what they were taught. Mm. It's their impressions after four years of not paying attention. So what they remember from high school is not necessarily what the teacher is actually taught. If you would t- ask a kid every day when they come home from school, what did you learn? And then two years after high school, ask them what they learned. They'll say, well, nobody ever taught me that. and, and But they did. They just don't remember it. I barely remember what I learned in high school. Some some smart person I remember who said, uh, a smart aleck person said, education is what remains after you forget everything you've learned. <laughs> and that's what high school is about, building character, building this desire to do Hashem's will. Right. And I see educators struggling with that and doing many, many ways a very good job. I have so much gratitude to the teachers who taught my kids and helped it builds into them this jewish attitude is
0: great oh i as well they they have a tremendous love of, of torah learning and judaism and no question, that of gratitude to their teachers and my
1: kids get a lot of hashkafa a lot right. of musr people sometimes tune out musr but if you listen to the musr that is hashkafa that is people trying to tell you what hashem wants from you in this world it doesn't work for everybody it works for some people uh but that is part of this education in the general attitudes of what of Judaism and this tradition that we have and the beautiful life that we're supposed to live.
0: Rabbi Gil Student is here. I, I want to speak to you for a minute about change in the Jewish world. Um, sometimes change is, um, is, is completely unwelcome, especially by specific groups in our community, uh, whether it be a change in, in um, uh, education for females in our tradition. Uh, you point that a very interesting change that I've always known but never really thought about in the way we conduct weddings, right? right? Wedding ceremonies are very different. Uh, I wonder what, if, the, if if when the wedding ceremony became as different as it used to be compared to what it used to be, and you could describe that in a minute, I'm wondering if there was a lot of pushback, if there was a lot of controversy, because after all, I see now when you try to implement something, you know, w- whatever it is, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, people try to implement in different parts of our community, try to, um, uh, try to uh, uh, bring, you know, to ceremonies and to different events in our lives. I wonder if there was a lot of pushback when all of a sudden the entire wedding procedure, from quote unquote engagement through uh, through the entire um, uh, sanctification of the marriage, you know, all happened in one fell swoop under the chuppah. What can you tell us about that?
1: It's it's fascinating because if you learn the mish- Mishnah, you see that engagement generally took about a year, right? And, and, and not really engagement, but the first step of the of the of the wedding when you give the ring and say Hare out mekudeshesli. That's the first stage of the wedding, and then they'd have months up to a year to prepare for the feast. And during that time, the, hu- the husband and wife didn't live together. And then you had the final stage of the wedding, the Nisuin, which is when they actually lived together. And then you had the Sheva Brachos after that. Right. And nowadays we have it all within half an hour. Everything right. happens on stage. It's all <laughs> one time. In those days it was a year apart. So how did this change? So I said about, I, I just started wondering. So I started looking around and I saw that it was a historical development. And... It was led by people like Rashi. We actually have tshuvas from Rashi where he was at a wedding and he directed them exactly how to do it so that you could have uh, the, the kiddushin and then the nisuin all at one time. And he seems to say, interestingly enough, and I think this is a lot about how Jewish tradition changes a little bit, it was driven by financial considerations. Mm. You have to throw a party for the first part. You have to throw a party for the second part. That's expensive. Not everyone can afford it. Right. You put it all together, it's one party much more affordable.
0: Right. Practical.
1: And it's And you know, when it when it comes to the pocketbook or the wallet, so people are more amenable to change. Right.
0: Consumer driven. <laughs> yes. And yes, they are much more amenable to change. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, what's funny as you describe this is in many ways we are now heading back to the way it used to be because now on the night or the week of the engagement, there will be a major party that they have to pay for, right? Right. And then a year later or whatever, the number of months later, there will be the actual wedding, which of course you know is is mostly unaffordable <laughs> to, to most
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's see we live in one of the wealthiest societies in history right. and we're able to do that right. but for hundreds of years we lived in impoverished lives and we weren't right so it it should be you know to some degree we should be celebrating that we're returning back to to some degree to the way Judaism used to be uh, experienced
0: right uh, some might also claim and i did not read this part of your book about Jewish education but some might also claim that some of the changes in Jewish education, whether it be secular education being introduced into yeshiva, whether it be uh, education for females in our community, also is driven um, by financial considerations,
1: right? Aren't there very much so? You know, we 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 all have to work, and nowadays even females, generally speaking, have to work. Right. Um, but you can't get that training to work without a corresponding level, same level of sophistication in Torah. So it used to be, you know, maybe 12 years old, a boy was sent out to apprentice with, a, you know, to a shoemaker. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Now you go on to high school and very often to college. And you're so the Torah education in those days, you were lucky if you knew how to learn Mishnah. Very few people knew how to learn Gemara. Yeshivas were for the elite. But nowadays, so many people go on to college, you need to have a corresponding yeshiva education. And, and that, that enriches everybody in many ways, but it, it, it introduces new challenges as well. And we're, we've been struggling with that for a hundred years, two hundred years, right. and we continue to struggle with it.
0: And as that pendulum continues to move, it's also going to be because of financial considerations. We may see less of a percentage of young men in yeshiva, for instance, you know, post high school, post college age, um, because we see that again, you know, that they, they got to get into the workforce in order to support their families.
1: The jury isn't out on that yet. Right, right now, kolos are still expanding. Right. Post high school yeshivas are growing, and in Baruch Hashem, you see a lot of boys. Uh, you know, I have boys of that age. Right, they're taking college slowly, while they stay in yeshiva. But have
0: that, you ever addressed the topic of whether kollel is a Jewish concept or not?
1: I I did. I don't remember if it's in this book or there, not. There are
0: some elderly people in our community who like to point out that it's in that it's a, it's as un-Jewish a concept as as you can come up with. I
1: I would take issue with that. We know all the way back in the times of the Rishonim there were kolels, but it was for the elite. Right. It was for the people who were going to be rabbis and serving the community. Nowadays, it's expanded a lot. But really, certainly in America, people, people are in Kolo for two years, maybe a little more. People who are in Kolo for 10 years or more, very rare in America. They go out, whether they become rabbis, they, they become teachers, they become real estate brokers. Uh, it's very rare to see people in Kolo for, for more than a short period of time. And and if that's what they're doing, how they're starting their marriage, by learning Torah, you know, I say more power to them. If they could do it, great. But, you know, eventually we, we need a society of workers and we need a society who can sustain our community and from what i see the colo community is also growing that way at least in america
0: interesting um rabbi gill student is here on the topic of consumer driven uh and i love pointing these things out sometimes uh, i i always believe by the way that the um that the fact that and i and i always say this when i when i give a public speech i'll i'll say to people that um if you let me know when there's two minutes left to the speech, I'll give you the treat of letting you know the greatest absurdity in the Jewish world, and they're all <laughs> and they're all intrigued, like, "Wow, you know, we got to pay attention for this," you know. And of course, they're all rushing to tell me when it's two minutes left, and I tell them that I believe one of the greatest absurdities, certainly in my circles, that's why I call it the greatest because I'm associated with it, uh, is that um, one will listen, right? A listener of mine will be more than happy, quote unquote, to listen to rock and roll a cappella music. Again, quote unquote, during sphera. But if you play a cantorial selection, a Hartzig, you know, uh, Dwekas style cantorial selection that happens to have piano accompaniment, that they will never listen to during sphera somer. And and I believe that that's consumer driven. I don't think that, I I think if we looked at it halachically or how a sensible rabbi would view it, I think they would likely recommend if you're going to listen to one of them, probably go with the, you know, slower, more Hartzigan, again, that happens to have you know, a, a musical accompaniment to a, a, you know, piano or some type of accompaniment to it. That's my view. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. I'm not a rabbi. But I always like to point that out. To that end, in terms of things being consumer-driven, when I read your portion of this brand new book uh, about Shabbos and you ask, when is a kiddish not a kiddish, uh, I would bet that not only those you quoted, but probably the majority of rabbis, I think, and again, you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, I would think the majority of rabbis would prefer if we didn't have a stand-up kiddish in the back of the shul after davening, that in fact, after you know davening ended, they would probably prefer that we go to our home, sit down at the table, say the kiddish with the challah in front of us, and then start the meal. Am I right that that's likely true that they'd prefer that over the over the other?
1: Halachically, yes. But I live in a community where there's a lot of competition for shuls. Oh, and you need a good kiddish ah, to bring people so in the that's door.
0: That's why I'm saying that the kiddish is consumer driven. That if we were in fact strictly halachic, we would probably defer to the rabbis on this. But because of, like you say, those concerns and frankly the desire to have this social atmosphere that people right. crave, you know, on a Shabbos day, you want to you want to be able to do what you can't do during the week, which is get together with your with your friends and have a, you know the ability to speak to them for a while. So I think that's consumer driven. It sounds like you're you're somewhat agreeing with but me. But I want I want to yep. add one
1: caveat sure. is that. History is littered with failed experiments. Not everything that the consumers want are are, are allowed, and rabbis very often take a stand and say You got to give no. me a
0: good example of that. Uh, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. Is there a good example? I'll of have that? to. I'll have to get back I, to you. Because I've always leaning toward the consumer-driven aspect. By the way, Rashi's uh, a supervision of the you know the quote-unquote you know one-shot wedding that we described earlier again consumer-driven may have been a you know. Brought to the people's attention by those who are really concerned about uh, the finances of a wedding.
1: Yeah, right? I'm not. I'm not sure who started it. It right. could be the rabbi saw there was a problem and said, "This is what we should do to fix the problem." Right. Uh, that that sometimes happens as well.
0: I'm trying to think of of more examples on my end of the of, yeah, things, I'm, of things that I'm convinced
1: you have the advantage because you're quick on your toes. I'm I'm a writer. <laughs> I take my time. I think about it, and I'll, I'll have to. But I am
0: curious about an effort that was consumer driven that was was quashed uh, by the rabbis that you know couldn't move forward because they felt it was either inappropriate or you know didn't belong in the community. Well, here's here's a bad example. Yeah.
1: For, in the in the 1980s, you might remember there was a glot yacht. Sure. Um, and the rabbis shut that down.
0: Right. The umbrella of Kashrus extended from food to everything else going on in the boat.
1: Right. So there was mixed dancing. It was a whole social scene. And the rabbi said, we can't give a right. kashos hashgacha uh, if there's mixed dancing right. going on on the boat. Right. Uh, and and th- that shut that down. So the right. consumers wanted it, but the Correct. rabbi said no. But that's not a great example because it's oh. very modern and people will complain about it. If you go back 200 no, but, years.
0: No, but I think it's a good – I'll tell you why I think it's a good example. Because replace the dancing with more mild activities and more acceptable activities. There are probably Kashrus organizations that – would not give kosher supervision if there, you know, TVs in the in the restaurant or or music playing at certain times, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's you know obviously more mild than the issue of of mixed dancing. Uh, but I think that that also might speak to the power of some, if not all, of the kosher organizations that they that they have the ability because of their strength, they have the ability to you know to dictate what is or isn't done in a in a kosher restaurant. They may be stronger than the consumers in that case.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that, uh, oh, so here's an example. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to the, let's say around 1840, so there were big changes in the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and it created a, a bit of chaos. It was some sort of a taxation revolution and everything. Um, so in the city of Izmir, uh, there, there were Christian missionaries who were opened up shop on Shabbos, and they were giving drush sermons, and they were paying people to come. Mm-hmm. And Jews loved it, you know, free money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. The, uh, the, so that is a bit of an extreme example. But right. the rabbis put their foot down and said, absolutely not. Some rabbis said, look, we can't do anything. But the the Rav Chaim Pellachi has a chuv on this. He says, that is usur. Absolutely not. I'm putting my, f- anyone who goes there is in cherem. Now, they don't, they didn't, the Jews weren't going there for the Christianity. They were going there for a little cash. Right, paid there. Um, and the rabbi still said no. And they, they stopped it. It, it. They put an end to it and maybe that's extreme cuz it's uh christian missionaries. Right. But I got to think of a better example.
0: For no, that. I actually I like that example. Uh, you know, there Lahavdil, there are people in this neighborhood who are paid to go to minyanim every day. Right. And that is an issue. You know, about the appropriateness of being paid to go to a shul to daven. So, you know,
1: that I'm that I think is okay. You know, Hashem pays us also for for doing mitzvahs. It's a reward.
0: So here, so here the people who happen to, to fall to a uh, into a good situation.
1: They get it here and they get an olam haba. So right, win-win.
0: Exactly. They they have they're double dipping. They're <laughs> double dipping on their rewards. Rabbi Gil's student is here. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at least a, a few more times that he has a brand new book which is about to come out. It's called Search Engine: Finding Meaning in Jewish Texts. Volume One is Jewish Life. Uh, some of the topics that we're discussing today, Jewish education and Shabbos and marriage and Jewish holidays and prayer, are all addressed in this book. It's a Kodesh Press release. Kodesh Press is the book, and uh, you could use the uh, promo code SEARCH30 at com. Again, use the promo code SEARCH30 at the website com for a by Gil Students brand new book, and you get a discount Did they mention to me.
1: 30%, 30% discount. Oh, nice. Only for... James and the A.M. listeners.
0: All right. You search 30 and you get a 30% discount. How could you say no to that on the brand new book Search Engine Burrow by Gil Student. Today, an hour from now, he appears at the Bialystoker Synagogue for the legal holiday cheer. Uh That's going to be 9.30 this morning. By the way, your appearance this morning is, is wrapped in controversy, I would say, <laughs> because after all, today is December 25th. And the question is, on December 25th, isn't there a tradition among some Jews that we we avoid certainly public, if not even private study of Torah. Am I correct about that?
1: So uh, about I think it was a year ago, a year or two years ago, I was invited to speak in at a Aguda in in Flatbush, one of the Agudas, uh, because they couldn't find another speaker because everyone refused to speak. Oh, on December 25th. On December 25th, oh, and that, it was a Thursday night.
0: Oh, is, oh, uh, it, uh, nights uh, even worse, right? That so was, a,
1: but it was a Thursday night where they had regular shear. Right. And I said, well, you can't stop a regular shear. Right. I'll go. And then so I, the first half was just me defending my speaking. <laughs> And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you just briefly. I'm a believer. There's a brisker general tradition that when it comes to bittle Torah, to failing to learn Torah, we're machmir. Right. So if there's any question, and being strict would would cause people not to learn Torah, then let's just we'll be strict on on learning Torah, and we'll we'll put in the extra Torah. And you right. know what? If Hashem wants to have problems with that, <laughs> you know that that should be the worst of my problems.
0: How did this whole concept seep into Jewish history? Th- Was it before the Hasidic era began?
1: The theory is that in Eastern Europe on on this day, it was dangerous to walk around because right. the priests were doing their passion plays right. and getting people worked up and you could ha- easily have a pogrom. Right. So to go to the base medrash at night, people didn't have svarim in their home, right. to go to the base medrash at night was dangerous. So you stay home and avoid the dangers. Pikuach nefesh, right? That's common sense.
0: So it's somewhat mythical that the Torah study would be viewed as being done in memory of somebody.
1: That's the theory. Right. I don't know... I can't speak for everything. Yeah. I can only speak for the more rationalist right. theory. Um, but if you, if you know, if you're learning Torah every night of the year, and you need a break, so have a that, break.
0: That's the night to take a break. my uh, Gil, student this year, Lahavdil. What would you say about the, or what would the briskers say about Torah study on Tishabov when we, when we try not to, uh, certainly not study certain topics, which would because Torah study brings joy to somebody, we don't want to have experience joy. On Tisha B'av, would you be strict in st- sticking to specific topics, or if someone would veer to general Torah topics, you would say, you know what, we're machmir that if you're if you're studying Torah better than Bital Torah.
1: Baruch Hashem, there's enough we can learn ah. on B'Av. Although I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, very interesting. I, I still don't understand it. When Salvejik was sitting Shiva, I think maybe for his wife or his, all, one year he had a big, sh- a lot of Shivas, right? And people went to be Menachem Oval to to, to visit him, and he gave complicated shiurim on Hilchos on the laws and people left saying i don't understand how how could you do that you know you, uh, find us available but you shouldn't be complicated and what's he doing and i think the answer is he didn't know how to speak otherwise <laughs> right. I, I i i never met him and never right. heard him but that, that's my assumption
0: unbelievable um all right so you discuss a lot about um, about jewish law um i, jo- I you you have a um, a chapter on buying clothing during Sphira. right again viewed as a as a what? As a custom? As a halacha? As a chumrah? What? How do we view that?
1: A, a lot of sfera is confusing because people get confused between sfera and the three weeks. Right.
0: One being much harsher than the other.
1: Right. The three weeks in Tisha B'av have, uh, and tish above have, and then the nine days and tish above have certain laws and customs about them, and sfera have different customs. And at th- we're in a stage now where they're all getting intermingled because right. people are confused. Right. So, for example, saying who during sfera, technically there's no problem. Halachically, there's no problem, but people are confused, and so once people are confused, and th- then they start being strict, so that maybe that becomes the minog. So you you see some post games say you should be strict, others saying this is nonsense, and other people trying to find some sort of a compromise. You don't want to be doing in general, you don't want to be doing something strange. You know, you know, I have certain um, ha- piske halacha, certain halachic uh, uh, rulings that I received that are very different from what everyone in my neighborhood does. Mm-hmm. So I hide them. I don't want anyone to think that I'm doing something strange. And so even, even something like buying new clothes, if people think that's strange and it's against halakha, you shouldn't be doing something that makes people think you're doing something wrong. Right. So it's, it's a complicated, and, and and let me tell you, listening to recorded music is right. not so simple that you're not allowed to do that during Svira. Correct. But somehow that developed. So when I was younger... I, I, I would
0: argue maybe even during the three weeks, but that's another discussion, right?
1: When I was younger, I used to listen to... When I was first married, I had little kids. We used to play music... Throughout the, the sphere and the three weeks. In a private environment, right. Yeah, but as we got older and my kids started going to school, so I decided we should act more like the people around us. And <sighs> so we became more normal, quote unquote. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> more abnormally normal. <laughs> and that's how minhugging developed over time. All right. that, that, minhug is as minhug does. That's what I tell people. All right, If that's a minhug, so do it. you know. They,
0: right but sometimes okay how do i put this I, <laughs> i'm not
1: i don't have your job your job is much harder
0: <laughs> but sometimes it seems that that more and more of these men hug him as you describe them i don't know if that's the appropriate word but that's the word you used um uh restrict members of the community more and more and more and i don't know if that is healthy i don't know if it is a healthy development i'll give you an example and i don't know if you've ever addressed this issue um There has in this past, I would say, generation or two, there has been an effort to encourage people not to repeat words during tefillah. Right, okay. Now, I would argue that some of the most, and and I would hope that God would view it this way as well, that some of the most beautiful liturgy that we have has only been enhanced by the repetition of words. Now, I will also concede to you, or whoever would be on the other side, that there has to be, if one is familiar with halacha, certain guidelines about the repetition of words. For instance, I would never repeat a word in the Kaddish because we know the Kaddish is a certain number of words; it's supposed to be treated a certain way. I would never repeat a word in Halel. We know that it has a first and last bracha, and that everything, and we're careful not to speak in the middle of halal, So why would I want to, you know, add words or play around with that? But when we're taking out the Torah, and we have these beautiful songs, liturgical songs that. Again, in my opinion, even with shame Hashem in those phrases, in my opinion, only enhances, makes more beautiful and 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 creates a, a more, you know, a more positive shul experience for the congregation. I don't know why we have gone ahead and uh, restricted the repetition of words in those circumstances. So well, I, I would argue, by the way, that it's just because it's got to be across the board for the reasons you just said. That people are you know uncomfortable or unfamiliar, and therefore we just make an ironclad rule and you know and Nacolm Siegel's unhappy the rest of his life. But,
1: <laughs> but well, Nahum, you also have to realize there's a generational shift going on, and the old style cantorial singing isn't does not is not attractive to the younger generation and they have to find tunes that are still traditional and still faithful to the liturgy uh, but that still represents the music that you're playing all the time and it's, it's a challenge because a lot of these tunes are horrible and are completely wrong. Right. And and but we need a great chazan to modernize chazanus and to bring it to the tunes that are and you know maybe Simcholiner is a guy I don't know um, we have a lot of really talented chazanim and singers who need to merge those two so that the next generation my generation we enjoy chazanus but sometimes we roll our eyes when it goes too long yeah but the next I'm, generation they don't know what chazanus is
0: right but I'm not a, I'm not at issue with if if one wanted to restrict a chazan. From repeating words in Shemona Esri, for instance, or in Kedusha, I get it. I get the the you know I, I I understand something about Halacha, and I get that. But when we have um when we have certain parts of davening, whether it be Kabbalah Shabbos, whether it be what I described, taking out the Torah, you know, areas where it, it only enhances it. I, but again, I think there's been this this attitude that it, it's all or nothing. There's been this attitude that you know there's 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 no balance as we bring this conversation full circle. There's no in between. There's no desire to know what you can do and can't do. Let's just restrict as much as possible. Okay,
1: Nachum, can I blow your mind for a minute? Please. Please don't get angry. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> there's a Chuva from a, river, a real hill designer, I think from the 1870s, when he he at that time he was basically the biggest post taker, one of the biggest post-game in Germany. He had moved from Hungary to Germany. He, he had, was in Berlin. He started his yeshiva. He was considered the biggest posic there. And they asked him about choirs in shuls.
0: Ah, oh, good question.
1: And he said, f- he said, first of all, I'm not going to say it's usser. I don't think there's anything usser about it. But I, I will not go into a shul with a choir, number one. But they, he, he was asked this, Shiloh, from one of his students who was a rabbi in a community. He said, we don't want to have a choir. Instead, we'll have everybody sing. And he said, whoever heard of such a thing that's crazy? Absolutely not. Do not let people sing in shul. That's not what shul is about. The chazen sings, period. But over the years, it's become very common. Right. And especially with the young Israel development in the early 1910s. Right,
0: communal singing.
1: They brought that to bring people to shul. It was right. a change. Correct. And if people are changing back to the way it was before the 1870s, I'm not going to complain. It's just normal shifts, generational shifts. If that's what people, will bring people to shul, when my kids go to my parents' shul and there's singing, their eyes roll, and they just, they just start twitching, when can I get out of here? Because they don't want that. And you know what? I can deal with it because I grew up that way. I don't like
0: it. So I'm just pining for the good old days, huh?
1: It's a generational thing. And, you know, you and I are becoming dinosaurs. All right. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) There's a new generation. They're taking over.
0: Finally, um, what do you think of my geographical theory uh, when it comes to halachic decisors, for instance? And I I don't mean this cynically. I mean this uh, seriously. Um, But I want to know. As you've analyzed halacha and discussed it in all these different articles, if there's anything to it, if circumstance, in your opinion, often or sometimes leads to certain decisions. What do I mean? I sometimes, again, not cynically, point out because there's a big argument. Argument. There's a big discussion on sukkahs. Should I ever drink water out of the sukkah? Can I eat out of the sukkah? You know what? What are the guidelines in terms of what you could do out of it? So when it's raining, what can I do? Et cetera, et cetera. So there's certain people who, even when it's raining, they won't say leish of a but even when it's raining, will only eat inside the sukkah. You know that, you know that right?
1: I know what the Gemara says about that, but yep, go ahead. Good.
0: So there's certain people, right, a certain Hasidic sect that I'm thinking of, right. that will even drink water in the sukkah and not out of the sukkah, even when it's raining. Fine. And then there are certain people who, if they are on a subway, right, and there's a slice of pizza on their lap, and it happens to be sukkahs, because there is no sukkah in the New York City subway system they, and they're hungry and they like to eat something, they'll make a bracha and eat because there's no sukkah there and they'll make a bracha and eat. I off, and, and, and again, and those people, you know, the ones who would do that are of the opinion that, you know, if there's a sukkah available, obviously I'm going to go and eat in the sukkah. If there's not available and I need a snack or I want to eat something, I'm going to eat it. And I always joke, again, only half jokingly, I always <laughs> joke that the decisor, the posake, who paskins the first way, had a sukkah one foot from his house. The decisor who passes the second way had to travel, you know, half a mile to get to the nearest sukkah. Uh, is there anything to that? Has the circ- Does circumstance lend itself to these halakhic discussions?
1: I, I strongly disagree with that. I'll give really? I'll, this specific case. When I first got married, right. I used to daven on the shul of a o'clock Cohen. He's a Chaim Berliner. Writes halachas varn, big posek, very mm-hmm. strict on a lot of things. And I remember he said, if you're going on a Cholomot trip on su- on sukkahs and there's no sukkah, just eat. Right. He lit. He had a, I, I saw his house. He had a sukkah on his front porch. He never went on a Cholomot trip. <laughs> okay. He was learning the best medrash on Cholomot. Right,
0: okay, I got it. <laughs> but,
1: but but I will tell, I will give you this. There's a difference between theoretical halakha and practical halakha. Theoretical halakha is you're sitting in the base medrash, you're looking at this farm. No one should ever paskin based on theoretical halacha. Right. We have to take the circumstances of each individual into account. And that's what a, a responsible rabbi knows you. You go to your community, rabbi, he knows you. He knows where you are in life, where you're going, coming from, where you're going to, and he'll give you a tailored sock that's appropriate for you. And that takes into account the circumstances of where you live, when you live, what you do for a living, What's and how hard it you, is. Man. So Revival Cohen told me, he told me, I asked him, am I allowed to eat rice, which is Mizonos? right? But it's not one of the grains. Am I allowed to eat that outside of a soko?
0: Right. Because one would prefer not to make a Mazonos outside the soko. Right? right.
1: And he said, look, technically, this doesn't fall under all the Mizonos. Right. But Gil, eat it in a soko. Right. Because he knew me. I was learning in right. Kolo at the right. time. And he said, this is what's right for you. Right. Got it. So it, it's so I, 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 circumstances are important, but I don't think the. Post-6 individual biases really should take take much of a, a role.
0: Rabbi Gill Student, the book is called Search Engine, Finding Meaning in Jewish Text. Volume 1 is about Jewish life with a lot of the topics we discussed today. I don't think eating the sukkah is one of them, but right, we don't have that in the book, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I brought that one up. Uh, uh, information, uh, you can go to the website, kodeshpress.com, and remember, use the promo code SEARCH30 for a 30% discount. Use the promo code search 30 for a 30% discount on a uh, Search Engine, the brand new book bar by Rabbi Gil Student. Uh, that's at KodeshPress.com, KodeshPress.com. And again, in a, about a half hour from now, Rabbi Student will be at the Bialystoker Synagogue on the topic of plagiarism. Uh, that's right here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Everybody's invited. They are serving a light breakfast, so enjoy that. And I guess we need to ask Mechila from the audience, for those who would prefer that we didn't have Torah study on the air on December 25th, <laughs> I guess we have to ask for forgiveness, Rabbi Student. Am I right?
1: I'm sure they have CDs they can play. After this program is done, they'll put on their CDs and they'll, they'll play chess.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> or any of the other December 25th customs that have developed <laughs> in Jewish life over the centuries. <laughs> chess is mild compared to some of them, you know.
1: <laughs> I won't go there.
0: Uh, I really appreciate you being here today. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. It's
1: great being here in the great studio. Uh, you know, I usually just listen to you on the app, and now I get to see how the magic happens. It's great.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, we should speak again, because there's so many topics to talk about.
1: Mr. I have to get back to you anyway on one of our topics.
0: I appreciate that. Didn't even discuss the beginnings of TorahMusings.com. It's .com or .org? .com. TorahMusings.com. Next time we'll talk about how that all started and how Rabbi Gill's student became such a force on the Internet. Again, it's TorahMusings.com, TorahMusings.com, uh, Kodesh Press with the 30% discount. How do you get the 30% discount on the brand new book borrowed by Gil student? You put the promo code SEARCH30 in the promo code area. SEARCH30 at kodeshpress.com. My thanks are by Gil student. Nine minutes before nine o'clock on this Monday, December 25th at JM in the AM. (laughs)